0: Our psalm this morning is Psalm 122. Listen to what God says. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. All men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. Our
1: epistle lesson is found in 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 2. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand... That the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her For as woman was made from man, so now is man born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. This is the word of the Lord. Be God. Let's pray. Lord God, we submit ourselves to Your word and ask that You would open our eyes by Your Spirit that we might see wonderful, encouraging, and challenging things in Your Word. I ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Friends, if uh, if I get out my trusty handkerchief. Trust that it is because it's hot up here, and not because this is a very difficult passage. Uh, but I was, so I was reading the other day uh, uh, an article on the Babylon Bee. If you, if you are not familiar with that website, it is a, a satirical Christian website. And I came across an article that began like this. Local man was startled Monday. To learn from an internet search that the black letters of the Bible are every bit as authoritative as the red. He explained, I could have sworn the words of Jesus were like extra inspired. Now, uh, these are ridiculous statements uh, from a ridiculous website. And it's funny. It's meant to be funny. That's the part of satire. But the sad part of satire is that actually, it, it actually plays on the truth. There is something true about statements like this. We, we tend to skip over passages that we don't like that make us cringe. We tend to pick and choose what portions of Scripture we learn from. We, if we like doctrine, then we run to Paul. If we like story, then we run to the Old Testament and the Gospels. If we want to hear about love, then we read John. But friends, we can't pick and choose what portions of Scripture we listen to. Now, there are versions of Christianity that take difficult passages like this and say, well, we don't like it. It makes us cringe. And therefore, Paul didn't write it, or Paul did write it. And then Paul's a chauvinist. And so we can't, uh, we can't, we, we don't like him. He's culturally insensitive. Or then there's some portions of Christianity that say, well, no, we should take this literally. And ladies, you should come to church with your heads covered. Now, if I interpreted it like that, then I. It would not go well with me when I got home this afternoon. So, when we come to difficult passages like this in 1 Corinthians and in the scriptures, we are confronted with a few very serious realities, very, very serious questions. And at the end of the day, it boils down to who is your authority? Who gets to tell you how to interpret scripture? Or who gets to tell you what is scripture and what's not scripture? Is it you? Or are you going to usurp God and decide that I don't like this passage, so I'm going to move to the next that I do like? Or are you going to say that I'm going to submit myself to God's word? Trust that, uh, that there is a context behind this, that Paul is speaking to someone for, for a reason, and, and, and we can there is application for 2,000 years later, because God's word transcends time, space, culture. And that's what I believe, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, and so we come to portions like this and are faced with authority. And if we take this to be God's word, 1 Corinthians 11, that, that, that this is actually God's word inspired by his Holy Spirit, then we have to acknowledge that Christ is our head that Christ is the one who gets to tell us how to structure our families and how to structure the church. We see in verse 3, but I want you to understand, he, he first commends the Corinthians for maintaining the traditions, for listening to Paul. And then he says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. And so he's setting up this hierarchy, saying that Jesus is in charge that Christ is your authority. He gets to structure the church and the home in whatever way he chooses, but it's not a chauvinistic structure. It's not an a, a, a abusive, patriarchal structure. Friends, it's complementary. It's, uh, Christ structures the church and, so, and the home in such a way that human flourishing is heightened and not diminished. Because he loves us so much, he's not going to diminish human flourishing. This hierarchy in the church is, or in the home is, is not a hierarchy of being. It's not a hierarchy of, of being, but it's a hierarchy of function and roles and responsibilities. Look with me at the, the entirety of verse 3. It says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. The language of head in chapter 11 here, and often in the whole of Scripture, is, uh, can be taken in two senses. One, a, a physical sense that, uh, that it's actually your head, speaking of your head and your hair, or a metaphorical sense of authority. Now, we don't really like that language of authority, do we? We don't like it because there have been abuses of authority. We have seen time after time after time abuses of authority. But friends, authority is not a bad thing. God structured creation in a hierarchy, but it was not a hierarchy of being. It is not an ontological hierarchy. It's a hierarchy of function. It's a hierarchy of roles and responsibilities. We believe ourselves to be individuals and autonomous from everyone else, but that's not how God had created us. He created us to be in submission to him. He created us with a hierarchy. And headship in the Bible is is not a bad thing. To speak of a head, a head of a family or a head of a household, or Christ as our head—it's not a bad thing. It's actually for our flourishing that God has structured uh, things, the structured the church and the family in such a way as He has. It's uh, it having a head, someone who is responsible for us, is the way God has structured us. The problem did not come when God created the world. The problem came when we decided that we were going to usurp the hierarchical structures of God, and that's when abuse of authority occurred. That's why we feel so many wounds, is because we live in a world that has fallen, we live in a world that is broken and one of the re- one of the ways that christ is redeeming and reconciling the world putting it back to the way it should have been is to reconcile and redeem the hierarchical structures of creation so it is good hierarchy is a good thing it's but but again it's not a hierarchy of being as if husbands were smarter or wiser or more intelligent or better human beings than their wives look at my marriage have you seen my wife? She's smarter than me. She is more, uh, she's prettier than me, uh, though I am relatively attractive. Uh, <laughs> she, she, is, she is more structured than me. She has a better memory than me. Uh, so clearly, headship in the Bible does not mean that, uh, that somehow men are better than women. How do we know that it's not a hierarchy of being? Well, look at the very end of verse 3. And the head of Christ is God. Biblical headship cannot be a hierarchy of being. It cannot be ontological. Because the Son is equal to the Father, even though the the Father is the, the head of the Son. You see, our catechism says that the Father, Son, and Spirit are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Each person of the Trinity is fully God. Now, for all of you theologians, Chuck and Ryan, I'm not uh, creating a doctrine of marriage out of the Trinity, but what the Trinity helps us see is that headship in the Bible is not ontological. It's meant for the service of the other. It is meant for service. It is meant for kindness. It is meant for mutual submission. Uh, the Trinity helps us understand that it that headship in the Bible is a, a that hierarchy in the Bible is functional. That it's it's a hierarchy of roles, responsibilities within the home. Now that we've established, you know that we have an authority that God has structured humanity, the church, the household with a hierarchy, but it's again hierarchy of function. How does that play out? And why is Paul getting so aggressive here in 1 Corinthians 11? Because let's be honest, we aren't terribly worried about our ladies coming to, work or come to church with hats. So we have to ask the question, what does Paul mean? And well, why is he so upset? And what's that mean for us? So, What's going on in Corinth is first that there was a feminist sexual revolution going on in the Greco-Roman world, and so the 60s were not, uh, they were not new. We're just kind of following history. There was a, feminist, there was a sexual revolution, particularly with the women. Uh, the reason this type of revolution was occurring in the first century was that husbands were misbehaving, and their wives were fed up. Their wives were, they were at the end of themselves. Uh, You you see, husbands were spending their time with this this class of women known as the hetairai. Now, the hetairai were well educated, well spoken, uh, expensive, and exclusive female companions. they, they often engaged in long-term relationships with, like a, single, uh, with a single client. And, and so what was happening was that they would provide companionship, intellectual conversation, emotional engagement, and would then provide physical satisfaction. And husbands would leave the home, would go to their hetairai, would have dinner with them, converse, be intellectually challenged, emotionally engaged, and then they would sleep with them, and then they would go home. And so you can see why the wives were fed up with this. This is insane. So uh, you might be asking, well, John, how does that relate to head coverings? Well, uh, head coverings for women in the first century uh, announced to the world, I'm unavailable. They were similar to you know, wedding rings. When you, when you see someone with a wedding ring, you don't engage with them uh, in, in a relationship uh, because they're taken. You know that when someone has a ring, it's announcing to the world that, hey, I'm married, I'm taken, I'm not available, go find somebody else. And so what was happening was that these women were removing their head, their head coverings that they were letting their hair flow, announcing to the world, hey, I'm available. And not only were they going out in public, from our understanding of what Paul is saying, they were uncovering their heads in the public worship of God. They were praying and prophesying with their heads uncovered. they were announcing to the world that they were available. They were coming to worship, showing off. They were coming to worship, showing off their sexuality, showing off their availability. It would be like a woman coming to worship today with her ring off in skimpy, scantily clad clothing, showing off her sexuality and engaging with, uh, and engaging in flirting relationships with men, announcing, hey, I'm available. It's similar to that. So, that's why Paul says in verse 5, but every wife who prays or prophesies, and note that he's, he understands women to be participa- participants within the worship service, he says, every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, not only her physical head, not only bringing shame on herself, because this is not the way God had created humanity to function, She's bringing shame on her family, on her husband as the head of, her, of the household, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. So, Paul, ladies, Paul was saying that to flaunt your sexuality, to make much of yourself at the expense of your husband and at the expense of your family is contrary to God's good created order and it's contrary to the Christian community. But Paul introduces something new now, the disgrace of short hair or a shaved head. Why is that? How does does that relate? Why is it disgraceful for a woman in the Greco-Roman world to have short hair? Well, because in the first century, long hair was believed to be medically tied to fertility. And so to uncover your head and to let your hair down was to say, hey, I'm available. Hey. But... So he says it's actually, it would actually be better for you to shave your head and to cut your hair off. He's, this was also used as, as punishment for, for women who were caught in adultery or, or other crimes. They would cut their hair short and mock them as a means of punishment in the Greco Roman world. But long hair for men was, was actually the opposite. And that's why he says, and uh, later in verse 14, Does Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him? You see, long hair for a man was believed to uh, announce that he was effeminate, that he was homosexual. And so it too was used as punishment for men. They would refuse prisoners the ability to cut their hair. And so their hair would grow long and they would mock them. They would jeer at them. So Paul asks that rhetorical question at, the, at verse 14. And so to, to finish off some of the, uh, the, the cultural context, um, Paul says something to men at the beginning of, of this series of, of do's and don'ts. He says, But uh, verse 4, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, you see, there, are, there was this practice in the Greco-Roman world known as capite velato. And it was where priests and pontiffs would go to the temple and they would hike up their tunics, cover their head, and they would offer sacrifices. Uh, and so what, it seems to be, what seems to be happening in Corinth is that men were coming with their heads covered, and we're offering sacrifices. We're uh, announcing to, uh, to the, the rest of the congregation, hey, I'm in charge. I'm taking, I'm taking on headship here in the church, refusing to acknowledge, refusing to uh, submit to Christ as head. As refusing to submit to Christ as, uh, as the final sacrifice for God's people. So that's what seems to be happening in Corinth at this time. Uh, so to boil it down, what was going on? Well, men were clearly misbehaving. Men in culture were, uh, were in importing things into the worship service, into the family, and women got fed up with it. Rightfully so. But they decided to do do something on their own, to misbehave on their own. They were coming to worship, announcing to the congregation, I'm available. And Paul says this is a disgrace. But remember, he, he's not, he, he, he didn't speak to women only, friends. He has spoken to men for uh for two chapters, for multiple chapters prior to this, there was a whole lot of sexual uh, dysfunction within the Corinthian congregation. And Paul is addressing it all. He's saying, friends, this is dysfunction. This is not how God created and ordered our churches and our families. This is a disgrace. To announce to the world, to, uh, to... uh, to flaunt your sexuality to the world is disgraceful, and it's bringing on shame to your family and to your church and to your friends and to yourself. So when we boil it down, when we, uh, when we get at the, the most basic, simple uh, conclusion, and I think it is actually quite simple, friends, the problem for the Corinthian church and the temptation for us is ultimately selfishness. It's wanting to make much of ourselves. It's being so absorbed with me that I have to be satisfied. It's, it's a, a heightened individualism, a heightened autonomy, t- autonomousness. I'm pretty sure I just created that word. But it's a heightened self-absorption, self-obsession. The men were finding intellectual, physical, and emotional satisfaction outside their homes in such a way that that Paul calls it disgusting. That Paul actually declares church discipline on men who were doing such things. Chapter 5. And the women were fed up with it, and they were going off and doing the same thing, only they weren't only doing it in public. They went to worship of God to do it. For instance, it's a heightened self-absorption. Men and women were both importing pagan culture and pagan worship practices into the worship of God. And Paul says we cannot import this. We cannot import culture. We cannot import pagan worship practices into the worship of God, into the church family, and even into the family. The family units, you can't do that. Christ as our head doesn't allow that. Christ as our head gets to tell us how we get to structure our families, gets to tell us how we care for, love, and interact with our children, our husbands, our wives, and our churches. Now, there, I think there are a few uh, simple applications for us 2,000 years later. First, Ladies, your sexuality is not meant to be flaunted in public. It's not meant to be something to say, hey, look at me. Your sexuality is meant to serve and to love your husband. To serve and to love him because that's the one God has given you to love and care for. Secondly, brothers, you're not off the hook. If you're not taking care of your wife intellectually, emotionally, and yes, physically, then you are doing a great disservice to society and to the church and to your family. It is the great privilege of headship to get to serve your family to get to serve your wife. And that's what biblical headship is all about. Biblical headship is about looking outside one's self, caring for the other. And that is the greatest privilege that we have as husbands and fathers. And lastly, friends, the gospel does not allow us to make much of ourselves. It simply doesn't allow us to make much of ourselves. See, because the Gospel makes much of Jesus. Jesus, as our head, is the one who has served us first. Jesus, as the head of our churches, of us as human beings, He's the one who has served and cared for us first. He is the one who has laid down his life that we might lay down our lives for each other. He is the one who, like Chuck said earlier, went to the cross and came out the other side. He is the one who has accomplished redemption for us. And he is the one who gets to tell us how we ought to live. Because he's not only our Savior, but he is our Lord. He is the one who has primacy in our worship services, in our families, and in our marriages. Let's pray. Lord God, we do submit ourselves to You this morning, trusting that You know what's best for us, Trusting that you know what is good, what is right. We submit ourselves knowing that we don't always like it. That sometimes we cringe when we read passages like this. That sometimes we don't even like the conclusions. But knowing that we are called to submit to you because you are not only our Savior, but you are our Lord Jesus. So I ask that you would give us the strength and the power to get over ourselves, to look to our Savior, and to submit our lives to Him. We ask in Jesus' name,
0: amen. Please stand and worship with us.